This is Colossus, and you're listening to The High Regard Show. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is The High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, don't get better than that. Nope, sir. The things we do for you, listeners. Press buttons like a sausage-fingered freak. We don't listen to Tom talk enough. Oh, please. I got a hot mic here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new show in a new year. The first show of 2018. Didn't it feel like 2018 just took a little, its sweet-ass time coming? <laughs> yeah, it totally did. And we're <laughs> one day in, and I don't see that much of a difference from, <laughs> you know, the last day of 2017, to be honest with you. Nope, nope. These things take time, I suppose. Yeah. Plus, if you lay in the same spot long enough, it all just bleeds together, doesn't <laughs> it? Really? Like, what's what's the big change happening here? Like, what are we expecting for 2018? Honestly, I, just the last week, I totally just disconnected. I was on vacation for 11 days, hard-earned 11 days, and I just disconnected from pretty much everything. Hard-earned 11 days. I feel like they could have made it last a little longer if it was so hard-earned instead of sucking it up the way they did. Because like, I was on vacation. It was like the fastest 11 days. Honestly. Of the um, last five years. Honestly, I haven't enjoyed so much like sleeping in and just kind of going at my own pace, living in pajamas. Well, for those of you who had to go to work the last couple of days... <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My heart goes out to you. <laughs> yes. So, um, listen, we actually have a guest this week, so why don't we get to your herd and then roll right into it? Let's do it. All right. This week's You Heard comes to us from the Minskoff Theater right here in New York City. Oh. It's the best hotel in Daytona. That's not saying much. Yeah, man. Anything in Daytona is not saying much. You know, I've never been, and nor do I ever want to. Well, I had a friend who lived down there. And I used to go down there every once in a while. Because you're a big NASCAR fan? Years ago. Actually, he was a cop and like his beat was like NAS, you know, the NASCAR circuit and then like all of the events that surrounded it. Plus, you know, the normal everyday debauchery, including spring break and all that other crap. There's nothing good in Daytona Beach, man. I don't care what anybody says. Why people used to go, I don't even know if they still go there for spring break. I feel like Cancun is like the big place for like the kids these days. But <laughs> the kids these days, because yeah, you've got upgraded. your finger on the pulse of what kids are doing these days. Please, everything is upgraded so much now that, you know, it's nobody wants to stay in the country. And then when you look at the places where you're going to go, like Daytona, who gives a shit? Daytona yeah. is just like a hole. Florida's never been like a destination for me. Like just, you know, we went to Disney when I was a kid Ugh. and that was... That was it. I think I've been there one other time since then. Like I've been to like a conference in like Orlando, which was just god awful. So I'm not a fan of pretty much anything in Florida, really. There's nothing in Florida that isn't already here. Like seriously, like everybody's like, oh, you got to go to South Beach. Well, yeah, great. I mean, I can go to the village and guess what? It's South Beach. I don't need to go to South Beach. I could just 
take the A train downtown and be there in, you know, 18 minutes. I don't think you know quite what you're talking about. I think I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, let's call South Beach more like Tribeca. Let's let's call it's it that. Just a, in it because it's trendy. Is it's that why? It's trendy. It's high fashion. It's you know. It's all right. There are typical model okay. people walking around the streets, like but in bathing suits and whatnot instead of Canada Goose jackets and things. Right now, this time of year, yeah, sure. But I mean, you know, any other time of year, like especially during the summertime, it's very parallel. Okay. I mean, I don't get it new york has like a lot to offer man it does tom and i'm so glad that you brought the tourism factor right into my segment well <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> and that's tom's tourism tip that you could find i guess going forward in every week since you heard <laughs> yeah suck it florida <laughs> moving right along shall we all right So as Tom mentioned before, we do have a guest. In fact, we have two of them. Oh my! For two for the price two of one. Two for the price of one. <laughs> do really? They really? They lost money on this one. Actually. <laughs> and I'm really excited to bring this interview with Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen. Um, they are the masterminds, uh, the writers, and Jessica. In Jessica's case, the director, and in Eric's case, the star of How to Be a Rock Critic, which is a one-man show based on the writings of. One of the most legendary music writers, probably maybe even the most legendary music writer, because I can't really think of anyone who has transcended, you know, the world since his death. I mean, he died in 1982 and, you know, people still talk about him. People still look at him as this prolific writer whose, you know, opinions could have been could be scathing. And but they were always truthful. And he always put the words you know, before fandom and, and things like that. But it's a play about Lester Bangs. It's called How to Be a Rock Critic. And it's premiering Friday, January 5th at The Public, um, right there kind of in Astor Place on the uh, east side of the village. And it's part of the Under the Radar Festival that the public puts on every single year um, for, the, for the past, like, 14 years. There's going to be, you know, tons and tons of just plays and, you know, Yes. Excuse me. <laughs> I had to swallow there for plays a second. And plays and pauses. Plays and dead air and stuff. But Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen are presenting How to Be a Rock Critic. And Eric brings this manic and chaotic Lester Bangs to life. Um, you know, the show was workshopped in Chicago and L.A. Um, over the course of the last couple of years. And this is its first time that it's showing here in the city and it's going to be here through January 15th mm. as part of the Under the Radar Festival. But we're going to let Jessica and Eric tell us a little bit about how this play came about, you know, how influential Lester Bangs was to to Eric and, you know, later to Jessica once she started to kind of understand who he was and, you know, what what go what's going on with the play. All right, let's roll that fabulous bean footage. Berk, beans. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the High Regard Show. We're very excited to have you on. Can you start off by telling me a little bit about how the idea for How to Be a Rock Critic came about, and how long was it in the works? It's been in the works for a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which, when we talk about our process a little bit, I think it'll become clear why that's the case. Okay. Um, We, in a... Uh, probably somewhere around 2005 or six, um, Eric, we, we had a play running off Broadway, and Eric came to me with Lester Banks's book, Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung. And Eric had been, he can tell this story, um, but Eric had been a fan of Lester since he was like 10 years old. Right. And it occurred to him that it might make. Oh, we have a we have a Sorry, kid. Sorry, it occurred to me. It occurred it occurred to me that that we might make be able to make a play out of it. Uh, Roger Ebert, the critic, um, said that Lester Bangs was the only uh, critic that you, you could really read like literature. Mm-hmm. And as I read these uh, things from Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung out loud to Jessica, we both realized that there was probably a play here. <laughs> and that's kind of how that's kind of how things started. Um, and then it took me about a year to really get up the courage to contact the estate. <laughs> right, sure. And then we had a conversation with the estate that went on for um, some time. We had to sort of make friends with them, and, right. um, and they're wonderful people, so that was easy. Um, but you know, it sort of explain what our vision was with the play because the play is adapted from Lester's entire body of work. So it's not as if we were just writing a play about Lester Bangs. We actually, I mean, when, when Eric brought me psychotic reaction, the book to read, I said to him, I have, after I read it, I said, I have no idea how on earth this is a play. It's a book of (laughs) criticism, but this guy's voice is unbelievably theatrical. Right. So we, we wanted to adapt, his writing and get the theatricality and energy and vibrancy of Lester's actual voice onto the stage. So, um, obviously, basically, basically, to bring Lester back to the East Village was our was our ultimate goal, and we're getting to do that now at the Public Theater. So, right, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, this is a bit of a departure, you know, from some of the subject matter of your previous works together. You know, so did your writing process change, especially when you had such this immense body of work to kind of sift through? Sorry, Um, actually. In a weird way, not at all. Um, <laughs> we also write film and television, and that process is much more different than our other theater work because that's, you know, that's it's fictional. We're writing from scratch, right? Sure. We often say that writing a conventional play or a TV pilot or a film is like painting a painting on a blank canvas, right? You're starting from zero and building something out of nothing. Whereas this documentary theater stuff or adapted work in this case is like carving a statue out of a block of marble, right? right. So with our documentary theater work, we are working from interview from transcripts of interviews that we've done with people. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we view the Lester's 15 to 20,000 page body of work as one long extended interview with Lester. Right. So... <laughs> The page count, in terms of the raw material, was maybe a little bigger, <laughs> but, the pro- but the process 
Sure. So after after we um, formed a relationship with the estate and came to an agreement with them, and they allowed us access to all of his work, which included the un- uh, the published and unpublished work. It was another couple of years because almost none of it was computerized. It was all Eric went down and and Xerox Lester's entire archive. Oh my gosh! On paper. So it was yeah, another. Yeah, so I couldn't. I couldn't use the automatic feeder at Kinko's. I had to actually <laughs> use the <laughs> page by page by page. So it was another few years after that of typing all of the material into the computer so that we could even begin to work with it. And um, as we did that, we developed a really deep relationship with the rhythm of his writing, which was really right. wonderful for the process. Um, and gradually started playing with how we would create a more narrative shape out of out of the work. Wow. We also developed deeper relationships with a lot of Lester's friends who have come seen the play and 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 uh, you know are have have given us advice or said you know Lester said this to me one time. So some stories outside of uh, Lester's work have made their way into the play too. Oh, that's great. Um, he had Through a, the people he, who knew him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, he had an affinity for heavy metal and punk rock, but he also had an affinity for, you know, the Carpenters. Right. right. Uh, so, so, you know, as long as the music was pure, that's where Lester's heart was. And that's kind of where the heart of the play is too. Great. And, you know, Eric, as someone who, who has known him since a very young age and has kind of been, you know, inspired by him, what was the most surprising thing you discovered about all of those years of you know sifting through the archives and speaking to his family and friends I think you know for me as an actor you know you're 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 always trying to take yourself out of the out of the equation and kind of stay out of the way of the character but I think I think the things that that have meant the most to me are the are the the points of contact um you know the belief that art can save people. Uh, mm-hmm. The belief that music is holy. Uh, um, you know uh, a, a demand for a kind of honesty in one's work, um, and also the contact that I have with with uh, with talking about critics and criticism and what that is. I mean, we live in a world now where everybody's a critic. Right. You know, everybody's got a blog or a or a, a YouTube channel sure. or a, or a or a podcast (laughs) and, 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 you know, so many people have so much to say about what they think about the world. You know, in a lot of ways, I think of Lester as kind of the first blogger in, in, not only in his, in, in, in his free form style, but in his, in his, um, in his opinions and in, and in, and in how he viewed the world and and also in the role of what a critic is you know what is a, what is what is a critic in a society where everybody's a critic and what is a critic in a society where nobody likes a critic right you right. know so those 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 points of contact for me are 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 what keep me engaged in the process and keep me engaged with Lester and 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 ultimately serve the same purpose of keeping me out of the way you know right. this this play isn't it might be a one-person show or whatever, but this play isn't. Uh, it, 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 the last thing in the world it's about is me, you know. Sure, um, sure. You know, so. and you know the show pre- first premiered in LA in 2015. How close is this um, incarnation that's going to be here in New York? How how close is that to that show that premiered? You know, how has it changed, if at all, ahead of this New yeah, York it, run? It's it's funny. We had a conversation uh, right before that production with um, a brilliant 
colleague who is one of the most amazing dramaturgs in the country, who and he said, you know, I think there's only about five percent of this play that's un, that's unfinished, but it's like a surgical five percent, <laughs> right? So not very much has changed in the text, but the things that have changed through the other productions we've had since LA have been um, felt very important from a writing perspective, just in terms of giving our audience access to Lester and where he's coming from. I mean, one of the wonderful challenges of adapting this material for the stage is that Lester's mind was so brilliant. He was really a genius. And the ideas that he's grappling with through the lens of rock and roll music are quite philosophical and can get pretty dense. So one of our challenges as writers was conveying those ideas in a spoken format, you know, because you can always look at a page and read it a few times to let it really sink in. When somebody's talking to you, it's coming at you quickly. Right. right? So we needed to give our audiences immediate access to the ideas that Lester was talking about. And so a lot of the tweaks we've made to the script since L.A. have been about just opening that up a little bit more so our audiences can kind of absorb him quickly. Right. And has his family seen the show? Um, I don't know that he has any living family with the exception of his nephew, who is one of the co-executives of his estate and he has not seen it yet he lives in very rural northern california um i think if we bring it to the bay area it'll be easy for him to get there but we've been in communication with him throughout the process yeah i mean his his family of choice has seen the play Uh, ronnie one of the one of the artists that he hung with who actually lived in the building that lester lived in she's a photographer that uh, that famous uh, picture on the cover of Let It Blurt. I don't know if you've read the Lester Bangs uh, autobiography uh, or not. Uh, no, I have not. Um, it's by a cat named Jim DeRogatis. He's very cool. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, out of Chicago, and uh, he wrote this amazing book about Lester, and there's a pretty famous picture of Lester on the front. So his family of choice has come. Right. And um, and that that to us is a great is just a great tribute to ultimately to Lester, which is which is uh, which is our goal. You know? It was scary. It was scary the first time we had his, you know, his, any of his good buddies in the audience. Right. Because of course he had he was really sort of the core of a circle of rock critics in the 70s in New York. And and, you know, they're they're most of them are still around, right. yeah. and he was beloved. So the first time we started hearing that any of them were coming to the play, it was like a little terrifying. <laughs> you know, this is their friend, and we're in his apartment for the duration of the play, right? And and you know, the first couple, all the folks who have who have seen it, who knew him, have have been incredibly positive and complimentary about the play, which is really a great honor. And the, several of them have said, "Oh my God, it looks." Just like his apartment, okay. like that mess <laughs> is Lester's mess, right? Like the Chinese food containers and the Rolling, the old Rolling Stone magazines and the 
balled up pieces of paper that he was writing on and the typewriter that he threw away when he got writer's block. They were like, all that is exactly how it was. Oh, awesome. So that's, that's been a really wonderful thing. Great. Yeah, the, the stage design is pretty incredible. It's, it's, it's built like the inside of Lester's head, you know. Um, <laughs> He was a he was a, a human iPod, you know. He yeah. Could cross reference just about anything, you know, <laughs> and uh, and and all of that is in his apartment in record and book form. So awesome! And you know, he wrote about one of the greatest musical eras, you know, which had this rawness that just really doesn't exist today. You know, what mm-hmm. do you think he would think of today when artists become stars? You know, because of TV contests and there's auto tune and other technologies to make music. What do you think he'd have to say about that? Oh, he'd want to mm-hmm. he'd he'd want to get in there and 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 kick the pillars over and 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 rage against the machine you know <laughs> i think there i think there are some bands out there that lester would definitely be into uh, rage against the machine being one of them um <laughs> but uh but you know i mean he would definitely be a fan i think of the flaming lips and what they do uh, audio wise um anybody who's in the art of deconstructing music he would be into right um you know I, and i think but, in terms of the in terms of the um the state of music in general today in the 21st century i think there are things that he would utterly loathe about it and there are things he would love about it right like american idol the voice auto-tune pop music all of that stuff i i mean i would love to read the blistering but the way the internet and being able to record music on your computer has opened up the playing field to, for really anybody to make right. music. I mean, in a certain way, that's really punk rock. And right, I think right. Lester would be really excited by that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Definitely. finally, if Lester was to give a five-word review of how to be a rock critic, what do you think it would be? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nobody... <laughs> No, nobody's ever asked that before. Oh, Eric, I think you have to take that one. Oh, no. I... Hello. Oh, no, have we lost oh. him? <laughs> Do we lose Eric? I can't believe he's going to stick me with that one. <laughs> Five-word review of how to be a rock critic. I mean, I hope he would call it truthful. And alive, because those were the two things that I think he held up above anything else in terms of the music that he loved. He was always looking for authenticity and truth, and that was one of the things that we felt really compelled as writers. Uh, We felt almost a sense of duty to kind of make sure that came through in the play. So. Truthful, alive. He loved the word electric, and I I can say this because I'm the director and I'm watching Eric perform. I think his <laughs> performance is unbelievably electric, and I hope he'd call it punk rock. Awesome. Well, thank he you. Might, so much. I think he'd call. I think he'd call it punk rock. Definitely. Yeah. All right. And and I mean, I think the whole thing can be summed up in in uh, in in Lester's epitaph that he wrote for himself. Uh, you know, ultimately, I hope people walk away feeling that he was promising (laughs) (laughs) he was promising (laughs) 
well, thank you both so much. We are so excited to see the show next week. Um, I can't wait to come and see it. I can't wait to see this electric and alive performance for sure. So thank you guys so much for coming on the High Regard show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. We'll plug in for you. Thanks, right. <laughs> Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was my interview with Jessica and Eric, who will be presenting How to Be a Rock Critic through, um, you know, Friday, through this Friday, through January 15th at the public. Nice. And thanks, guys, so much for coming on the show. Like, um, I was thinking when you were saying Jessica's name, do you think she's related to our ex-principal Daryl Blank from Fashion Institute? I don't think so. Really? I don't think so, but I didn't ask. I wonder, because, I mean, how popular of a name is Blank? Is it really popular of a name, you think? I've had, I had teachers over the years whose name was Blank. Really? Mm -hmm. They just spread out across the whole country, don't they, those Blanks? I guess they do, those Blanks. (laughs) But I was really excited to speak to them because, you know, I love music. You know, I read, like, I was really into rock music as a kid. You know, I remember reading Cream and, you know, Hit Parade and Circus when I was going through, like, my my little weird metal nerd phase because I was, like, a little young metalhead, but I was also, like, I'm nerd. You are still a nerd. I am still a nerd. So when you say those things, I just look at you and I'm like, no, you did it. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't didn't read those magazines. But then again, you're a reader, so you probably did. I had, in fact, I found some poison f- fans that, like, I would write, we would have pen pal. I had as pen pals. Like, the, because in the back, it would be like, write to this person. I'm a fan of poison. And, like, my little profile was in the back of the magazine, and people would write you letters. Like, it, it faded very quickly, like, because I started doing it like, when I was, like, 12 and 13. And then by that point, like, once you started, like, hitting the teens, it was like, yeah, I'm not going to be, like, a fan, like, a like a pen pal of like this much longer you see i never had one of those things no pen pal things or anything like that i think i wanted a pen pal and my grandmother said who was living in california at the time if you write to me i'll write back to you <laughs> and, <laughs> and i didn't realize that was her way of just getting the hooks in me and keeping me like you know like in so, contact more like that was a good so did boy. you write to her rarely who writes to their grandparents all that often it's not to be mean it's just like well, what are you going to write to her like, hey, Grandma, you know, I got drunk and I wound up, like, in a sump today and people were throwing Chinese stars at me while I laid on an old mattress. Like, she isn't going to care about it. It's a true shit. story. Like, I feel <laughs> like maybe we need to kind of get into this. Well, I don't know if we really need to get <laughs> maybe, into it. Maybe, but... we need to, maybe I need to be brought up to speed and then we'll decide if it's show-worthy. Oh, all right. <laughs> Not safe good. for show. <laughs> yes. But seriously, like, I never really got into, like, the you know correspondence with people who had like the same like similar interests and stuff yeah until social media came along because i think like what social media is you're not making like if you make me have to go to a goddamn post office to buy sure. stamps, yeah, guess but it was what? a different You're time. Never getting a right, letter. right. It was a different time. We didn't have that kind of stuff back I then. I know, but you know. I used to love reading the magazines. And I mean, like, Lester, by the time I started reading these magazines, like, Cream and stuff like that, like, Lester was long gone. I mean, he was, like, this was in the late 80s. He died in the early 80s, you know, and... I didn't really, like, I knew of him just from hearing, like, people talk about him and things like that, but I, um... 
but I really got to like learn about him and want to know more about him when I saw, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman portray Lester Bangs in Almost Famous, which is one of my favorite movies. Mm. Um, just because I love like music and I love that. Like, I just think that's such a beautifully shot movie. It's just so well done. Like just this band on the road and it's like this young music journalist and, you know, he kind of takes Lester Bangs under his, or Lester Bangs kind of takes this young journalist under his wings. And it's just like really struck me because I was a music reviewer for a little while in my career. And I do miss that so much, especially writing about, you know, horrible news every single day. Like I do miss writing about music and talking to musicians. So that's why I seek out to speak to so many musicians when I can for the show and you know for for my day job but I just like loved that lesson like to be a real true rock critic you know you can't look at these people like yeah like who doesn't want to be friends with Lou Reed like you know Lester Bangs may have been but like you can't look at them like this is my friend on stage that I'm reviewing right you know and I've known people who are quote-unquote rock critics or rock journalists and they're mostly just want to be blown by the band like oh "Oh, I want to be like you know, I want, I want to be friends with them. And, like, he would never give an honest review of anything. And, like, I remember I, when I was trying to, like, review local music and stuff, I would get shit because I'd be like, well, this song wasn't the greatest. Like, I wouldn't say it that, like, I'd say it in a much better way. But, like, they expected, like, well, you're writing about me, so it's going to be favorable. And it's like, that's not how it works, just because it works like that with some people. Right. And seriously, I, I know exactly the yeah, person you're talking about. And I, too, follow the person on social media. <laughs> And Which is funny because I don't. Like, the second I stopped working with you, I was like, be gone. <laughs> yeah, but you made me follow all your friends, and then you stopped following I didn't following make your you friends, follow shit. And then I'm shit. just like, oh, no, now I'm stuck with these people. <laughs> I didn't make you do any, like, as if anyone listening to the show expect, like, actually believes that I made you do anything that you didn't want to do. That's true. I was trying to make a good impression when we first started seeing each other. So... I followed your friends because they followed me. I don't think a lot of them still do follow me, but for whatever reason, they keep popping up on my dashboard. I'm like, I don't know. Dashboard. On my dashboard. But, you know, here's the thing, though. It's the little fish, big fish scenario when it comes to how to do reviews, I think. I think that if you're a big fish in a little pond, and you're the only person getting these interviews or there's few people getting these interviews locally, mm-hmm. like you're a superstar and it makes you look like you're a big deal. But then when you break down the interviews that are being done and you see like what's Like you're talking to the same about, like local musician for the 15th year in a row. Right. Or, or if you meet somebody 15 years ago, you do an interview on them and then 15 years go by and you run into them backstage at a show (laughs) and you say hello and they nod at you. I'm sorry. I don't want to read that story based on you saying hello and then your flashback to 15 years ago. Like you can milk certain things, but some people just really, really milk things. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, and it's just, but like, you know, and the difference is like, they're not being truthful. Like, they're just like, I'm going to be this because I want you to still think that I'm this, like, rock star in the area. Right. Or, like, Lester was just like, if it wasn't good, he wasn't going to say it was good. Right. And that's, like, you know, and that's something that's, like, really missing today because you read about the music that's kind of popular and stuff, and, like, nobody's really saying, like... Right, that it What sucks. it is. Like, like a lot yeah, of that, a lot, that a lot of music <laughs> sucks and stuff. And, you know, and I really loved, like, their answers to the questions of what he would think about today's music you know, with the auto tune and, you know, becoming famous because I was on a TV show instead of like 
playing every shitty back bar, you know, while I, to like cut my teeth in the business, you know, right. instead of going about that route where like it's good, like music industry now is good in some ways, but in other ways, it's just that closeness of like being with the band as it's coming up in life. You know, like and finding them in some shitty bar somewhere and then like growing with them and seeing them take over the world instead of just like, oh, you're on a TV show that's watched by a kabillion people. And oh, now you're famous because of that. Right. And I feel like that's a gimmick. Like chances are if before you get on to like some, you know, exploitative TV show that's going to make money off of your talents. Right. Chances are you've already been through the ringer to get to that point in time. And you're like, oh, man, this is like my one hope to get out in front of a bunch of different people and showcase my talent. But most likely you didn't get out of bed that morning and say, I'm going to run down to the American Idol tryouts today and try (laughs) to get on. Like, chances are you got your ass kicked already to this point. And this is just, you know, like, if you know, you're in the business. This is a gimmick. You're going to try to get you're going to try to get popular based on a gimmick. Exactly. And like you look at the the bands that he wrote about, there are people that we still talk about, like Bob Marley's been dead for decades and he's Mm -hmm. still revered. Lou Reed will always be revered. The Beatles, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, like who of these today's music are we going to be talking about 30 years in the future? Not many people. Not many. Not many. And, And, you know, the other thing is I think that with, you know, music the way it is today, Bono just did an interview like this past week Mm -hmm. and he was saying that especially for like young men the only thing they have to turn to right now as far as music goes is rap because it's the only thing that has like the anger and the angst covered like for young men where in the past like you know when we had punk like that covered that you Which know Lester Bass that's part coined. of it, of course. But you know, like like punk music is something that you know young men used to be able to turn to to get their anger and aggression out. But why Same aren't they turning? Why can't metal. they turn to it now? Like why it doesn't exist? Like there's just not people out there doing it like to the point like where the way they're that they did. yeah like rap is the is the punk of now because of how underground it is is that like kind of what he was saying or i think it's just it's like, more it's gotta... accessible like you can you can now access rap pretty much anywhere and and like get your frustrations out by listening to it but not so much the case with punk with heavy metal with things like that yeah, like there just who, aren't that many bands who doing is a it. punk band of that's like been a, like that's out right now i mean i'm not too up and up on like con, like contemporary music right but i mean yeah like from just what i read and stuff like that like i'm not seeing a lot of who can carry that torch or even start the next wave of like whatever punk is going to be right well, that's an interesting and the same thing goes with you know like rock like there's just not a lot of good rock or metal music out there right now. You and I are waiting for a concert that's not going to happen until September. July. July. Same thing. We've I mean, been waiting cares? since September. Yeah, we've been waiting <laughs> since we bought tickets in September for a concert in July, which is the Foo Fighters. But I mean, you know, we have to wait that long. So I am sure from like the standpoint of writers who wrote about these subjects they're not nearly as prevalent as they once were because there's not that many people producing music worth listening to right, as there right. once, once was. Sure, sure. And I think, like, the, the organicness and, like, 
Yeah, like, like the organicness of being a music fan is so different now because you can go onto Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and whatever. Like, you don't have to pick up the magazine and, like, read the review or, you know, or that. Right. And and seriously, there's, like, I would say, you know, there's no more, like, Nine Inch Nails around. Like, you, you're just not finding bands like that. There's no, definitely no more Beatles around. There's right. no more Stones around. So, you know, when you when you take that into consideration, there's a lot of people who are mimicking what they've done, but who really wants to talk to somebody that copied somebody else? Like, right. it's, you know, it's, it's a not different that big time. Of a yeah, deal. no, for sure, for sure. And I think the other thing that happens with music reviewers, especially, you know, these days, is they don't get, they don't get the character they're looking for because they don't get to spend enough time with them. There's so much news out there right now, and the internet has made it so fast to like shoot these stories to people that now you got a situation where you know you might sit down with somebody for maybe an hour if you're lucky maybe you get to do a 15 minute interview right and then you basically have to write a story based on that there's no like you know i used to work for rolling stone years ago mm -hmm. there's no we're going to send a writer to hang out like in a studio with pink floyd for two weeks right yeah and they're gonna know everything that happens and when they write the story you're gonna get the true depiction because you might be able to hide you know for an hour yeah but in a couple of like for like how they do those stories sometimes i mean it's been a while since i've read rolling stone just because i just miss the music it's so many it's words so, it's <laughs> And it's just the politics, like right. I would always held Rolling Stone in high regard because of its in high regard. <laughs> Show plug. I know. It because of its music, like its music coverage was what drew me in. But like the politics and stuff, like while I agree with some of it, you know, it's just I don't want my music with a side of politics. I want my music with music. It's why U two is so hard to listen to because if you didn't know anything about them, you would think U two is a great band. But then when you start really listening to what's going on with them, you're like going, man, you're preaching to me, man. <laughs> and that's another problem with rock music. The whole premise of rock music is to escape, not be preached to. I mean, there's a place for it. Believe me, I, I, I still do love you too a lot. Right. But at the end of the day, I would say the reason why I don't listen to them as my number one is because sometimes you just want to have fun with it, man. Right, yeah, of course, of course. So... There's that. Well, there we have it. Yes. So thank you, Eric and Jessica, for coming on. Um, if you want to learn more, we'll definitely have links in the show description as usual. But you can go to publictheater.org to find out more about how to be a rock critic and when it'll be showing as part of the Under the Radar Festival at the Public Theater this month. Sounds good. Shall we get into a potsy? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. All right. So this week was follow up with my two doctors, my general practitioner and my neurological doctor, who is also my medicinal doctor. So I'm going to call him <laughs> voodoo doctor number one. <laughs> voodoo doctor number one. <laughs> yes. And it's so strange how, you know, you can 
go from one appointment to the next and be having a direction in your head as to what your problems might be. And then in one appointment, it's another curveball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are definitely, I mean, you've been ripe for a curveball for a couple months. So I figure it's, it's, you've been overdue. So, so I would say up to this point, um, we made a list of questions to go into both doctors with. We did, yes. And they, because you've been going through some issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, um, personally, my biggest issue is anger is back in full force. So full force. Right. Energy, like I've never had before. Like I've been like just amped up, like with. I don't know what the hell's going on, but with cleaning and just straightening and moving shit around, then it's kind of like, where is this energy coming from? I don't know, but it's quite annoying. I it can is, tell you. Well, while annoying. someone is on a well-deserved 11-day vacation, the last bad. thing she wants to do is be told, we need to rearrange the bedroom. I think we should rearrange the bedroom. Let's rearrange the bedroom. Yes, I'm going to clean the closet out today. I'm going to go through my clothes. I'm going to go through, like, it's just he been nuts. has been in so insane that... As I was getting ready, as I was like on the last week of work for 2017, which was a very highly stressful time because I had to work far ahead so that I could actually be completely off. Yes. I get 15 photos, text messages to me saying, you and I are going to play a game. You need to pick the shoes that you need to throw out. (laughs) And I'm like... I have four stories that I have to write in the next, like, three and a half hours. You couldn't just click a thumbs up or a thumbs down? If I had done that to you, it would have been World War Three. If you were working and busy and crazy, and I was like, hey, babe, can you pick these? We'll see. Something. Because whenever, there's, no, there's you, nothing bullshit. to judge it by because bullshit. it didn't happen that bullshit. way. If it happened that way, I'd be bullshit. like, you might have a case, but you don't. You don't have anything to judge I it by. I do have anything to judge it by. No. So basically, I got all this energy. And my biggest thing, like I said, is the anger. But that's not the only thing that's going on because there's also, you know, the same amount of dizziness, but but getting but actually getting physically sick, like throwing up. But it's yeah. so nonchalant just to get up, go in the bathroom, throw up and then sit back down like nothing's happened. You know, like it's just become a norm and still passing out and stuff like that. Which I don't expect to get better. No, no. And we knew that going in that, you know, passing out was unfortunately still going to be something that happens often maybe. But I feel like you've been, I mean, maybe you're just not telling me, but it feels like the time, like before this like current period, like of the last couple weeks, Mm -hmm. before that it seems like you weren't telling me about it Mm, as often. Like what does that say? Because, but I just, I need to know about these things because I keep track of them as well. Well, I know, but still, it's just like going, ah, guess what? Did you pass out today? Yeah. Do you feel dizzy today? Yeah. Did you throw up today? Yeah. Like, after a while, it's just like going, you know what it is. Like, there's no point. And the doctors, you know, now believe that the throwing up and some of the dizziness, which I don't know if it really correlates because I've always been dizzy. I can't tell the difference between the reason for one dizziness compared to the other. Sure. Um, could possibly be because of a malnourishment situation. Now. Yes. That was a very interesting out of the blue thing that you came home and told me. Yeah. And that comes from still losing weight. You know, it's been well over a year now. 
I've hit my goal weight like, you know. Months ago. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, like I'm still losing weight. And not a lot, but I mean, in between appointments, it's been three weeks, and over that three weeks, I've lost another three pounds. So I'm still losing like a pound a week, which I should be happy about being. No, that. you shouldn't but be I because sh- you've reached but this. But if you get weight loss surgery, like you're like going, all right, I want to know it works because so many people get it, and, and it then- does because you reached your goal weight in six months less than your target date. Like yes. within your fir- within a first year, you reached your goddamn target weight. That's true. That's true. So you're done, and now you need to maintain and gain back a little bit because it is not healthy anymore. Hence, you're malnutri- you're malnourished now. Which is weird because I feel like I eat, but you don't eat. You eat like cheese doodles. Well, cheese doodles is a new phase, and I it get that. It is a very, very new it phase. It is a very new it's phase. It's just a weird cravings lately, yeah. and I don't know where these weird cravings come from, but it's like smart food. Like the popcorn? The popcorn. Mm-hmm. The cheddar the popcorn. Ch- cheese doodles. Like it's You're craving all like, like powdered cheese. cheese is what you're doing. And I can't not have it, which is weird. Like, I, like if I don't eat it, like I know I'm not going to die or anything like that, but I lay in bed, and my mouth will just start watering, <laughs> and I'm like going, I need to have some cheese doodles. And if I don't have any in the house, it becomes my... Obsession. Yeah, for the entire time until I wind up getting it. And once I have it, I feel fine. Like, it just goes away. Obsession by Tom. It's not by me. (laughs) But seriously, like, I really think that, you know, like, there are certain things that, like, I'm craving. I feel full, like, really fast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hard to tell, like what's coming from the pots what's coming from the bariatric surgery what's coming from any mental issues that i have because of this because you've been off you know your doctor took you off the meds once you went you know you got your medical doctor but i'm going back on the meds now because of the anger issues yes so i mean you know as we have found out the cannabis is great for certain things sleep fantastic for eating Good. I mean, when I'm full, I'm full. It really doesn't make a difference how much I smoke. It hurts if I eat too much. I mean, it can only go so far. Right. But, I mean, as far as relaxation, as far as, like, you know, anxiety, like, you know, like those attacks, cannabis works for all of that very, very well. It does not work well, for me anyway, when it comes to anger management. It does not work well as far as, you know adjusting blood pressure in any way like right. they said that my blood pressure might drop which is kind of scary right, because is, it's already it's the one thing the that like point. yeah we don't want you to like that and your weight are two things that we don't want you to drop no but i mean you know it's not affecting my blood pressure in any way but it's probably because maybe illegally i have tried some stuff between you know the time that i became right. legal and not but i mean I'm going by the suggested things, and I think the biggest problem is is that there is still such a lack of knowledge when it comes to POTS that if you talk to a neurologist, he knows it from the brain end. Mm-hmm. If you talk to a general practitioner, she might know it from whatever end she studied, maybe from the heart end. Right. But again, it goes mm-hmm. down to the one thing that the Mayo Clinic has as far as like them diagnosing and being able to treat and stuff like that is their doctors have both ends like they right, have right no yeah everything like, so they were one stop shopping right and this is the path that I was on before I went to the Mayo Clinic where 
you know, a doctor who specialized in neurology would be like, here are all my suggestions to make this better. But that's not helping the heart problems necessarily. Right. And I don't want to get into a situation where I'm just going for another round of, you know, 12 months of blood tests just to come out and have them say, oh, you have POTS still and there's nothing we could do right, about right. it, which in the end is the only answer anyway. Right, because we knew this and that's that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go away. So what it is is what it is. So, you know, right now, like, there's definitely some changes happening. Um, and medicines are getting changed again and stuff yeah. like that. And we'll see how it goes. But it's just strange how POTS can either kind of stay on a slow and steady course and you just get used to, you know, like I said, I got used to fainting. Right. So if I fall down and I, I get back up again, everything goes back to normal. And then I got used to throwing up over the last couple of weeks where it's like I could throw up, come back, and everything's back to normal. But you never know, like, what's going to branch out and then what's the flu and what's POTS. Like, it's so hard to tell between these medical things right, when you have right. something that lasts Which forever. Which is why it was so hard to diagnose in the first place because it looks like so many other things. Its symptoms are so many other things. Right. And it's not a quick test where you just go, they do a blood right. test, and they're like, oh, you have POTS. So, right, right. It's a culmination of many things. So that's it for this week. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's just been, like, some changes as we go forward. And I'm, hopefully they get better. They could get worse, and that's to be expected. But, you know, for those people out there who have POTS, this is the crap we deal with on a normal basis. You go exactly. to the doctor, and now it's malnourishment on top of right, everything exactly. else. Exactly, exactly. So we'll get you back on track and start maybe giving you some more balanced meals. Yes, like mm. cheese doodles with a slice of ham. <laughs> <laughs> Until <Or not. laughs> next week on the potsy. <laughs> And that does it for this week's show, people. Show enough. If you'd like to learn more about the High Regard Show, please check out our website at highregardshow.com. And, of course, you can always email us at highregardshow at gmail.com. And you could follow us on all social media outlets as High Regard Show. And don't forget to follow our delightful and adorable studio manager, Kona, on all social media outlets as the Kona persona. You will not regret giving this beautiful little lady a follow. Not at all. And we look very forward to seeing the Lester Bangs play this week on yes, Friday. Yes, we're going to be um, at opening night at the public. And mm -hmm. we're very excited to talk about just a little bit about our thoughts next week during next week's show. Absolutely. So tune back in and check it out yes and thanks so much for coming on the show guys we really appreciate it this week and um break a leg as they say in the business as they say in the business thanks everybody for listening we will see you again next week hopefully you all made it through again for a happy and safe new year and let's kick this mother in the ass and get it rolling right from the start this is how we do it good night everybody good night